All right, hopefully you're still uh, in Luke chapter 8 where Corey read for us. As we look at this uh, parable, the soils. We've been in a section of Luke. Luke says at the beginning he's arranged his gospel as an orderly account in such a way that Theophilus, uh, unknown to us who Theophilus is, but that Theophilus may be sure about the things that he's been taught, that he might be certain that uh, the Lord Jesus has come, the kingdom has come in Christ, and he might know that Jesus is the Savior, that the Old Testament prophets had promised. And the section that we've been in, beginning in chapter 7 down to, we'll go to the end, almost the end of chapter 9, uh, Luke is revealing that Jesus is the one who those prophets said would come. After working miracles, a number of uh, miracles, John's disciple, John the Baptist's disciple show up and ask, are you the one? John has uh, sent them on a mission. Uh, Jesus answers the question for them by continuing to do miracles and sends them back to report to John what they've seen and what they've heard. Uh, Then Jesus calls out the generation in which he's living uh, for refusing to respond to him and or uh, John, John's message. And that led us into the woman who... uh, intruded in the, uh, in the dinner party of the Pharisee who had invited Jesus and sort of snubbed him, uh, failing to perform the normal, traditional uh, graces of hospitality for the, his guest. And this woman comes in <clears throat> and pours her loving attention out upon the Lord uh, Jesus And then at chapter 7, Luke is uh, revealing to us that the the least likely of people, the masses, the people and the tax collectors were the ones who uh, responded to the message, while the religious Pharisees and the Lawyers, they're dissatisfied in who Christ was, uh, rejected God's purpose for their lives as they either hid in the crowds uh, with, as we'll use a metaphor, their stony hearts, uh, rejecting Christ or challenging Christ, the things that he was saying. That brings us to this parable that we'll see, that will explain for us uh, the different responses of Jesus sowing the seed of the Word of God and then fulfilling the ministry or the prophecies that the Old Testament prophets said their Messiah would. I don't know if you noticed in some of the songs and in the readings, 
This parable places a great emphasis upon hearing the Word of God. Uh, In chapter 8, look at verse 10. When the, the, in, in 9, the disciples ask him a question. Jesus responds, and then he says in verse 10 about the parables, he tells them so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Then in verse 12, as he's telling the parable, uh, some of the seed goes along the path or the ones that along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes it away. Then verse 13, the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word of God, they receive it with joy. Verse 14, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, Hold it fast and an honest. The emphasis upon hearing the word. Uh, verse 18, as he continues about with the lamp under the jar, uh, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will give. And even going into verse 21, uh, as Jesus' mother and brothers show up, verse 21, he says, but he answered them, my mother and my brother are those who hear, hear the word of God, and then he adds, and do it. So the emphasis in this parable is on how, how it is that someone listens to the word of God. The importance of hearing what is being said. And of course, he begins with a, a warning in verse 8. He said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear let him hear. There's that emphasis beginning with the initial warning. And recalls in 729 why it was that the people and the tax collectors responded when all the people heard this, verse 29 of chapter 7, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. So the as, as Luke continues framing this chapter 7 down to chapter 9, verse 50, of answering the question, are you the one, Jesus? What we'll see as we go on, <clears throat> uh, Jesus continues with demonstrations of his power and declaration of his uh, call to the kingdom providing further proof that he is the Messiah. And that's, we'll go all the way to chapter 9, verse 50 in these next few weeks before Corey comes back, and that's where we'll leave off. Uh, So the woman uh, that we saw a couple of weeks ago anointing Jesus' feet kind of prepares for these first three verses of chapter 8. These other ladies... Look, look at chapter, uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. Soon afterward, 
when he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chosa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So the woman who anointed Jesus at the at the Pharisees' dinner party, and then these ladies here who've been delivered from uh, evil spirits and uh, infirmities were the ones who responded to the Word of God, and then they lovingly served Him out of their means. He, they cared for Him. Uh, victims of the evil spirit and the illnesses, uh, Jesus set them free, and they responded with gratitude and followed Him, serving Him. And so as we come to verse 4, a great crowd, a crowd has followed Jesus to this place. The crowd, once they arrive, the crowd then also comes from all around and they gather, uh, waiting to hear the good news of the kingdom and uh, to see more of the mighty works of God. So not only is Jesus preaching about the kingdom, he's also doing miraculous things. The dead have been raised. We've seen that. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. Diseases are gone. And it's no wonder that these crowds are coming from all directions. If you think about what's been going on and what will follow, we can imagine as they come to this place, uh, some may be limping, carrying friends, uh, moms and dads with children, uh, some just curious with all the hubbub, others very, coming with various expectations. And so we might begin with asking ourselves, what do you expect? What did you expect when you gave your life to Christ? And how have those expectations been fulfilled and met or not? When you got up this morning and planned on coming to church, what did you expect to happen? Anything? Or did you just come checking your box because you know you're supposed to be here? That phrase, what do you expect? Uh, Bruce brought it to us in a, uh, a series, a marriage series on what do you expect when you got married? What are you expecting to happen today? What were these people expecting to see? More of the same, most likely. The prophets had said at just the right time the Messiah would come. The people were asking, is this the one who was to come? And now here they are. And Jesus, hopefully for, on their expectations, will prove himself this mighty Savior and Messiah. So before we look at the parable, let's pray and ask God to help us hear, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of God's Word.
as Jesus explains it to the people. Father, we do come to you and we do need explanation. We need help to understand. As Corey has reminded us in his assurance of pardon, it's not in anything that we do, but it's in what Christ has done. And what we hear from his mouth recorded in your word. Father, we look to you and we say thank you that you have preserved these truths for us. And that through the ages, the technology has been advanced to where we hold Bibles in our laps, in our homes. And Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear. We ask that you would give us minds that are clear. And Father, we have hearts that are unwilling until you make us willing. Give us hearts that are able to receive the truth of your word, in particular through this parable this morning. Lord, I think about the word being sown, the seed being sown about this morning in our uh, churches, our friends next door, I pray that the preacher is preaching your word faithfully. Lord, we think about uh, Jonathan and Will and First Baptist South Houston and Harvest Baptist Church in their attempt to bring together two greatly diverse congregations we pray for the challenges that they face, that you would give those young pastors wisdom beyond their experience and their years. And we pray for those congregations. Father, as a new wine in some ways is being poured into old wineskins. And the elasticity is not what it has been. Lord, I pray you would revive that church and this union might come about. We pray for Taylor Worley down in Hitchcock at Galveston County Church. Lord, for John Kalunga right over here in the neighborhood. In his, as he ministers in his congregation. Lord, it's so easy to pray for others out there. We pray now for us in here. Father, I pray you would uh, touch us, that your word would make a difference. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, parable here, it's, it's not the first. I mean, it's, 
but it is one of the most important parables that Jesus taught. And he, in, in, we have the parable related in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, essentially the same. But in Mark, Jesus says this, the disciples come, we'll see this in the middle. They come and ask Jesus, tell us what this means. We, we're having a, a struggle here. And Jesus says in Mark, his response to them is, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? There's a key in this parable to help understand the way that Jesus uses parables as he teaches about the kingdom of God. All the parables one way or another about the kingdom of God and the growth of the kingdom of God uh, having to do with the sovereign rule of God coming uh, to earth, coming in the person of Jesus Christ to visit his people, to redeem his people. Remember, we've, we're told the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's within you. If I do these works by the power of the Spirit, then you can know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And as he tells these parables, um, an old definition of a parable, uh, you may all know, many of you know it, an earthly story uh, with a heavenly meaning. That's okay. That's what a parable is. Uh, it's, it's not a fable. You know, nobody, I don't know, if, does anybody read Aesop's fables anymore? I guess we have cartoons that do that more than, uh, more than reading books anymore. But in fables where the animals are talking and they're really animals or, are, are, are people, this is not a fable. They're not people in, uh, this is a true-to-life story. Um, that's what Jesus' parables are. He talks about banking in that day. He talks about farming in that day. Uh, he talks <coughs> about uh, fishing, uh, weddings. Uh, talks about, tells true-to-life stories, stories that are uh, reality to teach the truths about how to enter into the kingdom of God and how it is that the kingdom of God grows. A parable uh, typically makes one point or two points. It's not uh, like an allegory. You know, we talk, I talk a lot about Pilgrim's Progress where every person, every place, every thing has a meaning in Pilgrim's Progress. That's an allegory. Parables are not allegories. Everything does not have meaning, uh, particularly in a parable. Uh, most parables aren't explained. Jesus just tells them, and the context is we do our best to understand them. And so in that, those ways, this one is quite different than the other parables that Jesus teach, teaches. He explains this parable in detail. Uh, almost everything in the parable, he gives meaning. Almost everything, not everything. So it's more like an allegory. But the story is a familiar scene as we've read there beginning in verse 5. Uh, a farmer goes out and he scatters his seed. 
He didn't have a combine. He didn't have all the machines that farmers use today. He just walks along the path with a bag in his, probably around his waist, and he's throwing the seeds into the field to uh, plant for his crop, hopefully to have a crop at the end of the season. That's it. Jesus says the farmer went out to sow. And the seed fell on the path. And then the seed uh, fell on the rocky ground, on the rock. It fell along the path. Uh, uh, here Luke uses four prepositions, four different prepositions to sort of uh, give us a little even more understanding where he says it fell along the path, the path that uh, was walked upon in a hard ground and it just fell along the path. Those seeds fell there. Some fell on the rock, on the rocky ground. Others fell among the thorns, among the weeds. And then the fourth place where some fell was into the fertile ground. So you have along and on and among and into to give a little bit of light into what Jesus is going to say. So that's the story, simple and plain. The, the farmer casts his seed and goes here, there, and other places, four different places, four soils, if you will, to explain it. And then he says in verse 8 at the end, verse 4 he says, and when the crowd was gathering, he said in a parable, so he's just kind of saying in a parable, um, this farmer and this seed and these soils. And then all of a sudden he says, uh, he calls out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Chapter 6, Jesus tells a parable of short. In verse 47, tells us parable of builders. Verse 47, every, chapter 6, 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, and then he says he's like a man who builds his house on a firm foundation. And then verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds his house on shaky ground and that house is going to fall when the storms come. So the issue is not just hearing the word, there it's hear, hear and does, and here it's hear and doesn't in those two passages, verses in Chapter 6, the issue is not really how, uh, hearing the word, but it's how you hear the word. Uh, do you put, as we put these two together, it becomes obvious that not everyone who hears the word, who hears the call of the kingdom, not everyone who hears the gospel is saved. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus said. Only some who, are, who hear the gospel believe 
with all their hearts and they persevere to the end and will end up in glory with God forever. And so often, as what on the surface may appear to be a true conversion, a, a, a true and dramatic work of God in the life of someone may prove to be otherwise in the long run. And that's why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Be careful how you hear the word of God. Be careful. His message is directed to all of us. You know, how we hear, how we listen to the Bible is so very important. I was reading just this morning in, uh, in Revelation in the uh, uh, messages to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And those who hear will conquer in life as they respond to the Word of God. Or today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. When you hear and you refuse to respond to the Word of God, the result is hardening of the heart. Jesus' parables are designed to separate the casual hearer from the sincere listener, the one who takes in the word. Those are superficially interested from, uh, separated from the curious and the honest and the uh, earnest hearers. As we sow the word of God, as we tell the gospel, as we preach the gospel, as we teach, we have no idea ourselves how it's being received, how people are listening. I always wonder, you know, I try to scan and wonder how it is that you're listening to the word this morning. I, I don't know. I don't know. The Lord knows. It's not finally my responsibility how you hear. I've been called to make the message as clear as I can. You're called to hear it and then to respond accordingly. My job to this morning at this point is to scatter the seed knowing that it'll land in all kinds of places. We got four sections. Which section is the rock? Which section is the, I don't know. Well, uh, yeah, but uh, I know it's going to land in places and be met with all kinds of responses this morning. So verse 9 and 10, uh, the purpose that Jesus, when the disciples come to him and, and they're uh, perplexed a bit, it seems like, just says, and when his disciples asked him about, what this parable meant. So we have the context, at least, of the question that they ask. Uh, Jesus is going to answer it generally there uh, in verse 9 and 10, and then he'll get a little more specific as he goes on. Uh, 
the crowds are expecting what they've heard and seen before. These miraculous things as, as we've walked through these recent passages. They, many in the crowd, I'm going, and I'm assuming that, I don't, it's not really there, but we'll see that as Jesus continues to teach, and the more he teaches, and the less miracles he performs throughout his ministry, the crowds begin to thin out. You know, miracles can only sustain for a while, because every time someone is captured by something dramatic, the next time it needs to be something more dramatic, and newer, and different. But Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and so the crowds would eventually thin out but uh, in, in, instead of miraculous things here on this occasion Jesus does nothing dramatic he does nothing amazing he just tells a story about a farmer he could have even there could have been one right close look at this farmer over he's sowing seed and he tells this parable uh and calls out, and the disciples seem to be a bit befuddled with this. What's this story about? And Jesus' answer, if we look at it closely, surely leads to more questions than it does answers. Notice what he says. I don't know what, what you think is the purpose of parables. I know what a general understanding of parables tends to be. Uh, Something like Jesus wants everybody to be saved, so he tells the gospel with simple stories uh, so that hearing it in, a fam in familiar terms, people can understand, and when they do, they'll follow him all the way to heaven. Uh, therefore, uh, and unfortunately, at, at times... In the classes I was in, I was in in seminary years ago, uh, therefore, as a preacher, I need to teach you nice little stories, short and sweet. I'm way up here high now, and I have to be very careful that what I say doesn't just go straight over your head and out the back door. I need to get it down where you can do it, and so... I, I was told that I need to make it easier to understand so you will all come to love Jesus. And I don't mean to be facetious about that. That is my heart's desire. But the Lord Jesus answers in a totally different way. He doesn't tell these stories, these parables, so that they may understand. He tells them so that they won't understand. What does he say in verse 10? The, the disciples have asked him what it meant. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus told the parables to hide the truth from those casual listeners who really didn't care who just wanted to see something, who were just on the sidelines. Um, 
to make it harder for them to understand. But notice, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are privileged. You are privy to the mysteries of the kingdom of God that others, maybe they've heard, but they've not been able to understand. Uh, they won't, they can't see it, and they can't understand it. And so people come to church. They come together to see Jesus for all kinds of reasons, with all kinds of expectations. And Jesus, rather than to encourage them in their mistaken notion of who he is, he tells stories to distinguish between the honest believers and the curiosity seekers and the ones who are just straining to understand. And his references to Isaiah 6 that Andy read for us, I mean, if you, if you remember and if you know that the context of Isaiah. In the year King Uzziah died, the people had rejected their God. And Isaiah, God speaks to Isaiah saying that if the people continue in this way, continue to turn their back on the true God of Israel, he'll speak to them in such a way that the truth will harden their hearts. And Isaiah, <laughs> you remember Isaiah's response? Uh, how long do I have this ministry <laughs> that I'm going to preach and I, I want them to hear, but they're going to turn their backs, they're going to be hardened every time I preach? And ultimately, Isaiah was prophesying about the Babylonians who would come and take them away because they continued to harden their hearts. But that's the context. God will speak. It's like the Romans 1 person that Paul writes about. They turn their backs on God. They choose not to acknowledge what they know to be true about God, worship the creature rather than the creator. And God says, well, if that's the way you want it, okay, uh, I'll give you up to yourself. Go do your thing. Uh, you know, if we don't come to we we don't come to grips. No one comes to grips with the gospel uh, or the message of the gospel from a safe distance, from a, a, a detached curiosity. If that's where you are with Christ, I pray that the Lord will give you ears to hear. That's why so many people remain in unbelief. And when the show stops, they're gone. Uh, not so different first century from our day today. Expecting Jesus to do this or that. People come and you do this for me, Jesus, and I'll follow you and when they hear the truth of the gospel, that it's not about uh, making you happy and wise and 
wealthy. It's about glory to God. Not really interested. So Jesus comes in verse 11, and so after saying, uh, you've been given the secrets, or given to know the secrets, he says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Um, what we don't recognize off the bat, without going back to the telling of the story, there's something missing. He explains what the seed is. He explains the four different soils. He says nothing about the sower. Right? I mean, verse 5. I'm sorry, verse uh, 11. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Wait, Jesus, what about the sower? What was he like? I mean, was he farming wheat? Was he farming cucumber? Tell me about the sower. I mean, was he careless in getting these seeds all over the place and they all didn't go into the right place? But I think there's a lesson. It's almost like the sower, the sower's not irrelevant, right? Somebody's got to cast the seed. The seed doesn't cast itself. So the sower is not irrelevant, but the sower is not all that important, so Jesus does not even address the sower in the explanation. Very relevant to us today, I would say. There's a sense in which, with all that we have available, there's a danger of sower worship more than seed worship and the worship of the fruit that the seed bears. Now, we all are indebted to our favorite preachers, right? I mean, we are. We owe a debt to all the preachers of the gospel. But Jesus says it's really not important who is sowing the seed. What's important is the seed sown about the kingdom of God. So he says the parable, the seed is the word of God. The crowds thought it would come with power. The signs were all there. And surely they were progressing toward a political upheaval. But Jesus says, those with ears to hear, understand, listen, the seed bears the fruit. The signs and miracles will not sustain The sower can come, and the sower can go, and the sower can be replaced. But the Word of God abides forever. This is 1 Peter 1, 23. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. 
The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The abiding power is in the word. The word of God, not a method, not a skill, not a talent. God uses sowers. But God uses sowers who sow the seed of the kingdom of God. So Jesus came to bring personal repentance, faith to enter into the kingdom, become citizens of that kingdom as the word of God is sown and sinks in. And the four kinds of soils that he, he lists here, we need to realize all of us, that our responsibility is to sow. It's God's responsibility to produce the fruit as the Spirit of God brings home the Word of God. Nothing else will do. There's nothing new to say. Uh, Spiritual fruitfulness doesn't depend on us as sowers. And if we're going to be involved in sowing the seed, we need to know that there's going to be many different responses. Know your part and know God's part and be satisfied with what he's called you to do. But be a student of the word that you might share it clearly. So the first heart, verse 12, the ones along the path of those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So they hear it, I'm going to say, I'm going to uh, guess that uh, at least one of you will, by the time you get to your car, forget what the sermon is about. I might forget before I get into my car. But the seed is is sown uh, on, they've been working at our house, and we have a whole side of our house is nothing but hard rock. And it's not rained in two weeks, and it's 100 degrees, and that rock is harder than the concrete in the parking lot. Um, and so if I cast some seed there trying to grow my grass back, it's just going to sit there, and the birds are going to come get it. That's the picture of the devil taking the Word of God out of, uh, Luke says, out of your heart after you hear it and don't respond to it. And then others on the uh, on, uh, fall onto rocky ground, and um, I, I'll give you a, 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 a Texas, South Texas illustration of on the rocky ground. It's when our tomato plants, we plant our tomato plants, and they come up, and those nice little, you know, the little yellow blooms come, and no tomatoes come. They fall off. I thought I'm going to have squash. No, it's blossom end rot. It looks like fruit is going to be born. There's a joyful response to the Word of God in these folks that he's talking about. But because there's just a thin layer of dirt and the seed goes in and it germinates and a little plant comes up and the sun comes out and it's gone. How many people have you seen who have been excited about a new life in Christ and they're gone. 
wilt as soon as expectations aren't met. I thought it was going to be, I thought the Christian, I was going to, and that's the shallow heart. They hear the word, they rejoice, but it lasts only for a short time. Trouble comes. I thought my cares were going to be gone, were going to go away. Someone told me that all my problems will go away with Jesus. They shouldn't have told you that, but they did. And so I tried Jesus, and Jesus didn't work for me. And they become, as Jesus said, twice the sons of hell as they were before because you tell them the gospel now, and they say, I tried Jesus. He didn't work for me. Let me go try Muhammad. Let me go try somebody else. We need to be sure that the gospel is shared faithfully. Um, that's, that's why we don't invite people down to the front. Now, I went down to the front the night I was saved. I was saved in the pew. I went down front because they told me. I didn't know anything about it. I shouldn't I mean, I didn't know anything about it. But here, here's why we don't do that. One, God can save if we don't do that. We don't have an altar call at the end of the service. Corey and I and some of you may have been asked, how do people get saved at your church when you don't have an invitation? I mean, and, and it's an honest question. I remember Barry saying over and over, I didn't know, I didn't know. That's all they know. And their preacher has told them for years, you need to come down here and we'll get you saved. We'll help you get saved. And people can be saved if we don't do that. Because God saves, right? But people can, say, can be saved if we did do that. Because God saves. But that's why we don't have that. We ask you, we plead with you, come to Christ. Don't come to here. The geography of this location right here is not going to save you. You come to Christ. He's the one who can save you. If you have questions about that, talk to somebody. We'll be glad to share the, with you what being a Christian is like. So uh, the next one is the strangled heart. This is the one that I struggle with a little bit. I know I'm not number one. I know I'm not number two. But look at uh, verse, is it uh, 14? As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now, Ultimately, I'm going to say that person's not saved. But it does say there's fruit there that doesn't mature, and that kind of puts me in a little bit of a position. Could this be a Christian who there's a, <laughs> who have arrested development spiritually because of the cares and the riches? And the pleasures of life choke the enthusiastic response. Um, 
so many things compete for first place in our lives. The word of, of God, uh, the, the, the uh, enthusiastic commitment to live for Christ doesn't uh, get choked out immediately, all at once. You don't just wake up and say, I'm leaving. It's a gradual progression as the weeds grow up around these uh, little buds of spiritual life. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom, Jesus says. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Uh, the rich, you know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Just give all you have. Because Jesus knew what was in his heart. We don't give everything away and get saved. Because then we're given it to somebody else who's not going to, who can't be saved, right? I mean, just, we got to pass up. No. Anyway, uh, he turns away and rejects Jesus' call because he was extremely rich. Many things compete. And the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life choke them out. James Boyce calls that a strangled heart. And then there's the final, the last type of soil, the open heart. Much good soil uh, receives the gospel. Uh, as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit to, uh, with patience or with endurance. It's not that by patience we just, you know, it's not that we hold fast uh, by, and, and persevere by clinging on, you know, tooth and nail to, uh, to our faith. But uh, the fact that we manage to hold fast to the faith is an indication that the word has sunk down into our hearts, has taken deep root, and is bearing fruit. Uh, you know, we're not... He does, uh, Matthew talks about... In Matthew, Jesus goes a little farther, says 30, 60... And a hundred, we all, all Christians bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. None of us are what we ought to be, but we're certainly not what we used to be. And God is not done with us yet. Amen? Yeah. So what now for those of you who you say, um, I don't know about how my ears are working. If you're not a Christian, you know, the only one with ears to hear can receive the benefits of the gospel. And so I'll ask you, if you're not a Christian, you know you're not a Christian. If you're, if, if, <clears throat> if you're not sure whether or not you're a Christian, you need to pay attention to these others, these other kinds of soils was your response did it stay was the enthusiasm there have you just let the word of god kind of uh or the uh, pleasures of life choke out you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith if you know you're not a christian let me ask you a question are you open to what jesus says to you in his word 
Are you receptive of the truth of God? Um, do you allow it to sink into your heart? Are you willing to allow it to sink into your heart to turn you away from your sin? Does, it, does this point you to faith in Jesus? And I'm going to say most likely your answer is not really. Uh, probably say my heart is shallow choked so what do I do well actually the soil can't change its nature and neither can you Um, but there's one who can the Lord Jesus can break up the path the Lord Jesus can kill the weeds the Lord Jesus can remove that rock that the seed might sink deep into your heart Ezekiel says God says through Ezekiel I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules think of the young man who walked away sorrowfully because he had much and Jesus says to his disciples it's hard see how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom and the disciples says who can be saved and Jesus says now you got it um they recognize the problem and Jesus says what is possible with impossible with men is possible with God with God all things are possible for you if you're not a Christian Come to Christ and plead with him to give you the heart that will receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and bear that crop of fruitfulness that only Christ and his spirit can do. One quick, I want to add verses 16 through 18 sort of a follow-up no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light what luke does what jesus does now he adds not just hearing but also seeing the light for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light take care then how you hear for to the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he thinks that he has will be taken take care how you hear and then Jesus mother and brother show up hey Jesus your family's outside he said verse 21 my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it by God's help, hear the word of God, and then by God's help, 
with the indwelling spirit, do it, and your heart will not be hardened. That's Jesus' lesson for us today. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we have these truths that there is no hope if it depends upon us. But Father, you are the sower who reaches hearts with the seed of the word and the power of your spirit. Keep us from unrealistic expectations in this life. Keep us from the dominating pleasures, riches, and cares of this world that will choke out our enthusiasm, our peace, Help us to hear the call of the kingdom, to give hope to the world, a world that doesn't even realize, by and large, it is dying, that is on a path of destruction. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray that we would be salt and light to this tasteless, useless, dark world. And I pray for those, Father, who are not saved, who haven't had ears to hear even this morning, that you would give them a, so, a, a soft and an uh, open heart to receive the truth of your word, of your gospel, that Jesus Christ might enter in and take his residence in their lives. And we ask all of these things, that you might be glorified, that the kingdom might expand, and we might be blessed. Amen. So, let's stand and be dismissed with the benediction from Philemon. Verse 6, I pray, Paul says to Philemon, that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I pray you, sharing of your faith, may become effective.